0: I find it comical when a child gets a gift, says thanks, sets it aside, and quickly moves on to the next gift. Thanks. They, they haven't even looked at it. They don't even know what it does or what it might be. They just said thanks and move on. Uh, they, they've quickly forgotten even sometimes that they have the gift because what's next, what's next, what else is in that bag? Have you ever seen a kid open a gift bag? They're always digging to the bottom. And so they're, they're quickly not even understanding what might be in the gift. They just want what's next and what's more. They move on, maybe even forgetting the gift momentarily. But how many of us are like that when it comes to uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit? We get them. We might, uh, for a season, understand them and love them and use them. And then we quickly move on, perhaps not even knowing what our gifts are. We say, hey, thanks, God, for the gift of salvation or, or thank you for what you've given me. Next. And we move on to what do I have to do or what's going on in my life or what's before me. And we don't even think about the very gift. Um, The gift that is meant to be used up in us for the sake of others, for the sake of God's glory. Often we take the gift and we bury it. And then the returning master, the gift giver, he asks to see what we have done with the gift, with that talent. And we give it back to him in perfect condition. Not even out of the wrapper yet. It's yours, right? You gave this to me and I knew you'd be coming for it one day and you'd ask for this back. And so here it is. It's all yours and it's in perfect, pristine condition. I I made sure that it would not be used and beat up and and bent. This gift that you give back in a never used condition, never invested, not having produced anything with the gift. And he, if you know the parable in the Bible, is not pleased. With that, God gives us gifts to be used and used and used again. God gives us all that we have to be used and used for the sake of others, for the sake of his glory. That's why the main idea of our text this morning in Romans chapter 12 is use the gift. Use the gift. Romans chapter 12, I'm going to begin reading at verse 3 through 8 and we'll focus this morning on 6 through 8. Listen to God's word. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in his generosity. The one who leads with zeal. And the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. These are the gifts of God. And we're looking specifically at verses 6 through 8. These verses assume that we already know... And believe that the Holy Spirit indwells believers. Or or lives inside of believers. It it assumes that we know that. It assumes that all Christians understand that the Holy Spirit of God is in you. And has given you things to use. Uh, Romans 8 uh, verse 9 he says. You however are not in the flesh. But if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So there's this belonging to God. And this Romans chapter 12 talks about us being part of the body of Christ. With Christ as our head. What does it mean to belong to God in Christ? Well, in chapter 8 it tells us you you belong to God in Christ. When you have the Holy Spirit in you. Well, how do you get the Holy Spirit? We know it's by faith. That that God grants us the the gift of, of vision. To be able to see the cross. He grants to us the gift of the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, to show us that we are so offensive to God. And He gives us the Holy Spirit to have faith and trust in God, to forgive us, to give us a new life. It is an easy but profound gospel. Believe. Call in the name of the Lord and, and you will be saved, the gospel says. So when you do that, then... God says, Jesus says, it's amazing, when Jesus left His disciples, right, He said, it is better that I depart. What would be better than Jesus walking beside you, turning a little boy's lunch bowl into a meal for 5,000 people? Like, how could Jesus leaving be any better? It's because He said the promise of the Holy Spirit is coming. That not just there will be one of me with power, walking around, doing great things for God, that there will be every one of my sons and daughters walking around with the power of God within them. The Holy Spirit is to come. and That's why it would be better for Jesus to depart so that the Spirit of God might come upon each and every one of us if we are in Him. So this passage assumes we know that, that we understand that the Spirit of God is at work in us and is empowering us to do things in this world. And he says specifically here that there are Gifts, it says, having gifts that differ. They differ. There's not just one gift of God. Yes, the gift of God in the Bible is salvation in Jesus. That's the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ. But it says, there are gifts, gifts from God, and they differ. And even here, he listed seven different gifts. These are not the extent of the gifts in the Bible. There's approximately 20 different gifts. Some of them overlap and might be uh, considered the same, but 20 gifts are listed in the New Testament. Here, we find seven. He says they're differing gifts. And what's amazing is the gifts of God differ so much that even if two different people have the same gift, um, then they might look differently. They differ even in that way. Not all teachers are the same. Not all evangelists are the same. Not all those with the gift of serving are the same. Even they differ within themselves. Not all evangelists, one of the gifts not listed here, but not all those with the gift of evangelism look the same. Someone with the gift of evangelism might have a real uh, good sense of how to build bridges with people and vocally tell them about Jesus Christ. Another person with a gift of evangelism might be really talented at writing a tract, which other people may use. They, they know persuasive words and good biblical passages to point to. That might be a way they use their gift of evangelism. So these gifts, they differ. And, and what's interesting is oftentimes when you are different than someone else, we are prone to compare. When things are different, right? Well, what's better? What's worse? That's just the human conditions. Who, who is better than this person? Which gift is better? Now, who uses it better? It's the human condition to compare. But what happens in our comparison is often people begin to get shoved to the wayside. Or uh, worse is we can say, well, because you don't have the gift I have, you're useless to me. And you're useless to the body. But that is ridiculous and, and Paul points that out in 1 Corinthians 12, where he talks about some other gifts. But he says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again can the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So he's saying, one part of your body cannot say to another part, I don't need you. Just like those with differing gifts in the church, those with different abilities given by God in the church, cannot say, we don't need that type of person around here. Or, or my gift is superior because it's more public, perhaps. Not one part can say to the other part. But it's interesting the way that Paul uses this imagery of the body because it also shows you as much as there is this differing of gifts and things look so vitally different, And I is not a toe, but they are so vital for unity. It's interesting, when you think about diversity and different things and different people, you normally don't think about unity. But here, God is telling us that the very fact that we are different is necessary for our unity. To have one body that functions well. We're not all an eye. We're not all a hand. And thanks be to God for that. But we, we differ it would be a sad day if, if, because a different part is uh, thinking another part is strange or they don't understand them, that they would cut them off and say, I have no need of you. Imagine if the hands said to the eye, I have no need of you, and then they went to warm themselves by a fire. Hands would be burnt. Or, or if the, the feet said to the hands, well, I don't need you, I can put my shoes on myself. It, it doesn't work. We all need each other. I read this uh, sort of an allegorical story of the left hand talking to the right hand. And this left hand got broken. And the right hand said to it, well, thank goodness it was you that got broken because my master would not have done well without me. And the left hand said, well, you think I'm useless compared to you? And the right hand said, well, yeah. The master wouldn't be able to write without me. And the left hand said, well, he wouldn't be able to hold the paper you write on. He says, well, the master wouldn't be able to hold the hammer to to build the house. He says, well, who holds the nail? You see, it's this conversation back and forth. Just because one hand seems to be stronger and better, doesn't mean it's the only. In the same way, different people in the body of Christ, we all have a part to play. One of us is to hold the nail while another one hits the nail. It's amazing that we all have our different parts that we play. And this is what Romans 12 tells us. This is what 1 Corinthians 12 tells us, that we are different in the way that God has so gifted us, but we are all so necessary to the whole, uh, to to do what God desires to do as the whole body. So he says, having gifts that differ, well, how do they differ? Is it because I chose a different gift than you chose? Well, no, they differ, it says, according to the grace given to us. It's according to grace. You, You know what grace is, right? It's undeserved favor. It's nothing that you have earned or deserved. Nothing that you can work for. That's grace. And so it says, God has given you a gift. Not because He seemed that you were pretty special. Not because you, had a, a, you were a good orator. You could speak well. That's why He gave you teaching or evangelism. No, no. It's simply because of grace. You see that it's not based on those things that God gifts you. You look at the example of Moses. He had a speech impediment. Yet God gifted him with leadership of the people. And and to teach the people, you think, well, those two don't match. A guy that can't hardly talk with leading people, but it did, because it was a gift of grace by God to him. And so great, you see the example of one person and one gift needing another. Who did Moses need? But his brother Aaron. Where where would Moses have been? How would he have led the people without Aaron? He would have stammered and staggered over his words. They may not have listened. They may have just run off because he was too busy trying to stumble over his words. But thanks be to God that there was another part of the body of God to come in and to be used by God for his purpose. So it says, we have gifts that differ according to the grace that has been given to us. It's from God. Each gift or, listen, each gift or each lack of gift is the generous outpouring and dealing of God. God is generous in how He gives gifts and how He does not give gifts. God is perfect in how He does that. In how He has assigned a gift to you and not to another. And you might think, well, I'm not gifted at all. Or what about me who is gifted in one area? Does it count me out from other areas? Because when you read in our passage this morning that uh, there's this gift of serving or of ministry or of mercy, you read, well, what if I'm a teacher? Does that count me out? I don't have to serve. Well, no, of course not. What's amazing is, though, if someone has example, the gift of teaching, what they are supposed to do is serve the best of their ability, but they ought to know the Bible well, what it says about serving. They ought to know it well so they can teach it well, teach the people to serve so that they would serve. If one is not gifted with uh, contributing, they don't have that ability to contribute But they've been gifted with teaching. Well, learn what the Bible says about generosity and teach others well. Model it well. That's what the gift God has given you. So why is it important that we know what the gifts are? It's because, first off, they're in Scripture. But we understand God has a purpose for them. So then what is the point of the gifts? In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, the Apostle Paul says, "...to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit." For the common good. He also says in 1 Corinthians 14, So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Again in 1 Corinthians 14, what then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. The point of the spiritual gifts is for building up the body of Christ, for strengthening the body of Christ, for encouraging the body of Christ, for preparing the body of Christ for mission in the world. It is our job to fulfill the Great Commission, and we need to be built up to do that. You'll notice as we read our passage in Romans chapter 12 that it doesn't really tell us what these gifts are, it doesn't, it doesn't go on and explain what prophecy means. It doesn't go on and explain what uh, contributing means. Instead, it mainly tells us in our passage to use the gift you have. Use it. The scripture doesn't want you just spending hours and hours on, on end trying to figure out all the intricacies of every single gift. And saying, well, what exactly is it? When you might do that and not use your gift at all that is a problem. That's why this passage tells us, let us use them. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Use your gift. If you're going to use them, you must first learn to identify them. If I tell you, and the scripture tells you, God tells you, use the gift that I've given you. You say, what gift? I don't know if I have a gift. I don't think I'm gifted. And, Therefore, I don't know how to use this gift. I want to obey God who says, use the gift. But what is it? How do I identify this gift? Well, as we have already seen, not all people have the same gift. So don't just look to another person who seems to be like you and say, I must have the same gift as them. So maybe I'll try that one out. We, we all have differing gifts. And so the way we can best identify them is not necessarily a personality survey. Uh, those won't give you a good... Uh, understanding of your gift, and maybe they will, but they'll all clump us as the same thing, probably. A good way to understand how God has so gifted you in a spiritual gift sort of way, um, J.D. Greer does this excellent um, three circles kind of thing, and if they converge in the middle, that's where you see how God has so gifted you. So the one thing you look at is uh, ability. It, It refers to things you're naturally good at. So you take your ability... What has God naturally given you? Maybe you're gifted at singing, or maybe you're an intellectual, or maybe you are just good at lifting chairs or helping people out. You're good at something, so you take your ability. The second thing is your affinity. What are you passionate about? What do you love doing? Do you love seeing people study? Do you love seeing people have an aha moment? Do you love seeing people who get to um, be served? Do you love that? So your ability, what are you naturally good at? And then what are you passionate about? What's your affinity to? What do you have a passion for? And then the third thing is affirmation. Some other ways that people have testified that God has used you. So when someone says, hey, you're a real real encouragement to me. Hey, hey, when you write me cards, that encourages me. Hey, I've seen you serving and praise God for your service. Hey, when you told me that, you explained that thing to me. I really learned. I really understood. So it's God affirming things in you through other people. People saying, yes, God has used that in you. God is doing something in you in that area. So you take what God has naturally gifted you with, your uh, ability, your affinity, what you're passionate about, and then what affirmation, what people have affirmed in you. When you get those three things, normally in the center you say, okay, someone seems to be telling me that I can explain the Bible well. I'm passionate about seeing people have aha moments, and I naturally am an intellectual. In the middle, I'm likely gifted by God for teaching. I'm likely gifted by God to teach people. And so there, in each area, in every of the 20 gifts in the Bible, you can say, is there natural abilities in me that, that make me more prone to this? Have people seen it in me, and me serving God, and say, yes, you are being used by God in that way. And am I passionate about it? These are the things that we look for in terms of determining how God has so gifted us. And we want to know the gift of God. We don't just want to say, thank you, and set it aside. And we'll keep it in its pristine package. We want to know it. We want to open it. We want to use it in our lives. We want to be used by God for the sake of the gospel. And so here, he lists just seven of the gifts. And again, the main purpose is not in this passage to understand them fully, but to understand that they need to be used. So he says how to use them. He says what they are in title and then how to use them. So the first he lists there, it says if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now prophecy is one of those ones that is possibly confusing in the New Testament because we understand an Old Testament prophet, right? They foretold the future. They, They saw what God was about to do and they would declare it with authority. God will do this. So he would send the prophet Joel and say, if you do not repent, then this will happen. Like, it's a supernatural understanding from God about what God is to do. That was foretelling the future. But that's not the only way the Bible uses the word prophecy or a prophet. He also uses it for foretelling. Someone who supernaturally is given a revelation by God that can expose a current thing. Um, it's, it's an interesting gift. It's interesting because Paul mentions it often in the churches. So, uh, what is the purpose of it is mainly uh, an important question. He says in 1 Corinthians 14, the one who prophesies builds up the church. Well, isn't that great? Again, he says in 1 Corinthians 14, prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. So, it's for the church. Well, what does it look like? It's a spontaneous revelation shared with a congregation. He gives example in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. Tom Schrainer says, It seems that prophecy is not only spontaneous in nature, but is also directed to some concrete situations. Giving practical guidance in particular circumstances. So it's not just general. It's not just like, oh, yes, I have this revelation from God that, that He's coming in some year and you better watch out. That's, there's no example of prophecy like that in the Bible. Uh, instead, it is a, a practical guidance to a particular circumstance. And you see that in the Old Testament prophets, but you also see, as Paul's instructing them in the New Testament, it's in the church, for the church, specific things. In Acts chapter 11, we read of a, uh, one of them stood up named Agabus, and he foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the days of Claudius. And so, even in the early church, uh, there were these prophets, those who God gave a revelation to for the sake of people trusting in God, not trusting in this person with the gift. But what's interesting to note in the New Testament is the prophecy is, is not just somebody gets to say something and everybody agrees and says, yo, it must be true. But it is tested by the congregation. It is weighed by the people, 1 Corinthians 14 says. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, do not quench the spirit. So don't try putting out the spirit. Don't say, no, I'm not okay with that. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. Test everything. So, lots of people will argue, well, is this gift for today? Is there some gifts that have not been for today? Is it just for the early church to establish their authority? Is it for today? Is it the same as it was in the Bible? We can't say for sure. Though I do believe that God does give revelation to people that is in check with what the people of God can confirm and say, yeah, that, that is scriptural. And yes, that is particular. And yes, that speaks to something. He goes on, he says, if prophecy, then do it in proportion to your faith. So God has given the ability to trust him, so so do it. Secondly, if service, in our serving, and then he goes on. So the next three are kind of of a different category than prophecy. So in prophecy, he says, it's in proportion to our faith. So what God has given you to trust him, the next ones are just in regards to the gift itself. So if service, in our serving. If teaching, in teaching, in exhortation, in exhortation. It almost seems redundant to say that. But he is saying, be devoted to your gift. These next three gifts, serving, teaching, and exhortation, if you've been given that gift, be devoted to it. Put put yourself wholly in it. He makes this statement because discipline and perseverance are needed to maximize the gift. So service. He says, if service, if that's been given to you as a gift... And do it in serving. And serving can be very generic. Another word can used here can be ministry. That's the same word for service. It can be someone driving someone to an appointment, helping someone balance their budget, be serving by stacking chairs or by babysitting children. Uh, Serving is not some in a box kind of thing. You don't always need to be stacking chairs to be serving. You don't always need to be holding an office of the church to be in ministry. Right? And so serving is a very vast gift. And so what's interesting is we said earlier, like, just because you may not have the gift of serving, does that count you out? And you should never stack a chair or never help someone balance their budget or drive them to an appointment? By no means. We're all called to serve God. We're all called to be ministers. But some are are uniquely, it's just their natural ability. They just love doing it. They're passionate about it. They enjoy serving people. And other people have affirmed them. And said, yeah, you know what? You are a servant of God. And I I appreciate that and I affirm that in you. And still these people are just meant to, in their serving, just devote themselves to serving. Yes, you can enjoy and and pursue other gifts, but if God has given you a service, don't ever be ashamed of it, but serve Him wholeheartedly. The next one, it says, is teaching. To the one who teaches. uh, Would you ever get on an airplane of a pilot who'd never learned? I don't think so. I don't think so. Just like you would never go to a surgeon who has made mistakes and never been corrected. You wouldn't go. So being served by teachers in the church and the next one by being a, a, having exhortation, it makes us better practitioners. So people who have been taught are better at their job. Uh, Teaching is important in the Christian church so that we can increasingly understand the mercy of God. The chapter began with the mercies of God, right? By the mercies of God, I appeal to you, give yourself wholly to God. So we need to understand those mercies. And as we discussed uh, when we read verse 1, that the whole of Scripture shows us the mercies of God in the Old Testament, in the New, in your own life, as you understand the greatness of His mercy you will then serve Him and love Him in a greater sense. And so, teachers are important because they teach you to show you the mercies of God in Lamentations. A book where you would be utterly in despair and depressed upon reading if you had not had a teacher to show you the thread of the grace of God in there. You need teachers to show you the mercies of God and therefore, if we have the mercies of God, we understand the mercies of God, we live lives of gratitude It's a chain reaction. We need to be well taught so that we can obey the Great Commission. What does the Great Commission say? Go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what's next? Teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Teaching. Well, if that's the job of every Christian, well, we ought to have people who are teaching the teachers. Someone who is uniquely gifted to equip you to teach new disciples. You need someone who has been able to mull over the scripture, pull things apart that you haven't seen, and help you through that process so that you can communicate that to the next generation of disciples in Jesus. We need teachers so we can obey the Great Commission. There are people who are particularly gifted with teaching. The ability to explain concepts of the Bible and the faith so that we can be sharpened for God's service. We need teachers to focus on teaching. Some of you are teachers. You need to focus on teaching. Study. If you love studying, study. And teach it. Chew it over. Mull it over. There is no shame in someone who loves to study. Teach it. Teach it. Explain it to someone else. Share your passion with someone else. We need teachers to teach. That's your gift. Use it. We also need those who have the ability to see error and correct it. Part of teaching, but also mixed with the next gift, which is exhortation or uh, a harsher version of encouragement. The word exhortation in the scripture means to come alongside of someone. Yes, to encourage them, but also to to guard them from error, to to show them where they've been wrong, to, to help correct them. That's what it means to have exhortation as a gift. Someone who has the ability to come alongside people, And to walk with them, to be with them, to show them right, wrong, to help them along. There are people uniquely gifted with that. Uh, The ability to correct and to see error. How sad is it that we live in a day where you can't tell someone they're wrong? Where everybody's got to be right. And if you tell them they're wrong, you're intolerant. That's the day and era we live in, but we know how deadly that is. And someone is wrong and they're marching in the wrong direction for no one to ever be able to tell them you're going off a cliff and you're going to die. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Don't tell me I know what's right. How sad is it in a day where we don't trust people to tell us and warn us. But there are people uniquely gifted by God in the church to come alongside of us. To mentor us, to show us right and wrong, to help us through the valleys, to to help us celebrate rightly the victories in our lives. There are people who are gifted with this, and that may be you, an encourager, an exhorter. There's a significant problem in the way people live today. Is we are so individualistic, we don't like other people in our lives telling us what's right and what's wrong, pointing out maybe some inconsistencies. We don't like that. We love to all be right all the time, but. We know that's a pride issue. So it's a spiritual concern. People have gone off the rails many times spiritually because no one's there to warn them or they will not listen to them. The Bible is full, I mean full, of examples of people who are exhorters. They are coming alongside people, correcting them, shaping them, making sure that they are keeping the faith. These, the church, needs. There are people whose gifts in the church are to sniff out air, to call it out, and to come alongside people. If your gift is exhortation, then exhort. Focus on it. Devote yourself to it. We need exhorters in this church. I need people to exhort me. You need people to exhort you. To come alongside you, encourage you in the faith. But part of that encouragement is to steering you in the faith. Helping you to walk in your faith. How sad it is in our day where people won't be corrected. How even sadder when a church will not be or a person in the church will not be corrected. Or well, let us then fall under the submission of the scripture. And how God has so gifted us with someone who is different than us. To come alongside of us. To hold our hand. To walk with us. And to help us. The next gift he mentioned is the one who contributes. To, or the one that gives. To do it with generosity. We're all supposed to be generous. The Bible calls us to. Calls us to uh, cheerful Generosity. And here it even says that. To do it uh, in generosity. What even is generosity? It is giving of yourself. So a person who contributes does not just necessarily mean financially. Often we think of generosity and, and contribution as a financial gift. That's one way. And God has so gifted certain people to be uh, financially fit. To contribute significantly to the sake of the church and to the mission around the world. Um, And thanks be to God for some of those people. Um, I knew one man who was a billionaire who, when a missionary needed an airplane, he'd buy him one. When they needed a house, he'd build him one. I was a recipient of his generosity. I lived in a house he built for missionaries. I lived there for four months. He paid all of my groceries, paid the heat, hydro, and I never met him. He's just generous because he had way too much money for his own good. But he used it all for God's glory around the world. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, what someone who is gifted with this this ability has. So that was financial generosity. But s- some of you, and, and it's awesome, some of you, based on a season in your life, are now have a lot more time that you can give generously to other people. That you can give generously to the people of your church. People need you. We all need each other. And so there's people gifted here as one who uh, contributes. So devote yourself to contributing to other people. Don't be necessarily worried about like, okay, well, I'm not contributing great because I'm not teaching them anything. But maybe they're teaching you. And so we all have our own unique gifts. But, but do so generously. Out of the abundance. Just give over and give and give. The next gift that he mentions is the one who leads. To do it with zeal. To do it with passion. If you have the gift of, of leading people, whether it's, and it's interesting because oftentimes so many people are shy or they have this false humility and say, oh, I'm not a leader. I don't want to step forward, right? Yeah, but some of you, God is gifted with a gift of leadership to, to take the reins, to maybe help delegate. That's leadership, to say, hey, you know what? I can organize this thing, but I can't do anything. I can't contribute. I can't serve, but I can delegate. I can, with passion, I can organize this thing on paper. I can make sure that Vacation Bible School happens on paper. I can organize all the volunteers. I can make sure the curriculum's bought. I can do all these things, but I can't be there. Then do it with zeal. Organize and do it with zeal. This one goes often with administration, which is gift listed in 1 Corinthians 12. Can you organize things well? We need people like that in the church. The person who's busy serving as they ought to be serving, if that's their gift, does not have the time or the ability necessarily to lead. They might need someone to give them some direction, to tell them which way to go and which not to go. If you have the gift of leadership, use it. The last one listed here in our passage is, to the one who does acts of mercy or shows mercy, to do it with cheerfulness. There are people uniquely gifted by God that are just... And you know these people, right? They're just amazing at getting down with people, sitting down with the homeless person on the sidewalk, showing them mercy. For a person who's lost a loved one, just going to their side and just being with them, showing them mercy. To a person who is um, repenting of their sin, coming to church on a Sunday morning and say, Listen, I've sinned and I, I need someone to talk to. Someone who has mercy to come alongside them and say, Yeah, God is so faithful, God is so good. We need people like that. Because if you go to uh, someone who is gifted with exhortation and you're looking for mercy, you likely won't find it. So That's why the body of Christ is so vitally important that we're all serving. That it's not just me serving. and it's not just a handful of people serving. Because then where's the eye? And where's the foot? And where's the ear? Where are our servants? Where are those who show mercy? We need to all use the gift that God has given us and hear the one who shows mercy to do it with cheerfulness. It is a hard thing to be the one who is gifted with mercy because you're often in the, in the dark valleys with people. But you do so with, with cheerfulness because God has so given you this passion. He's given you a natural ability to come alongside people, giving you a passion for hurting people. And other people have said, Man, I've so been ministered to by them. They came and sat with me in the hospital and they read the scripture to me. Man. I was served, but that person needs to have cheerfulness because it is a lonely and a dark gift to have. Praise God for those with the gift of mercy. Each of us have a gift from God. Do you know it? Have you said thanks and set it aside? Or have you opened it and used it and used it and used it again? Do you know what God has so given you for the sake of the building up of the church? Or are you just sitting back and letting everyone else do their job? And you're the lame foot. Just being dragged along. We have a gift so that the body can function properly and move and build itself up and strengthen itself for our mission in the world. But the way we're going to be strengthened is if we are each doing our part. If one part doesn't cop out and say, you know what, I'm tired now. But instead we have someone who encourages it and comes alongside and says, come on hand. Let's go, we can do this thing together. We have, some of us have an a, um, out-front gift. It's noticeable. It's, it's, uh, it's beautiful. Others have a job of a kidney. It's to be behind the scenes, not seen. Some of us have a job of an appendix, whatever that is. And you might be taken out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> In the body, right? You think, oh, no, hopefully I'm not the appendix, and I'm just going to burst, and the body won't care about me anymore. no. We each have a useful part to play in the body of Christ for the the whole of the body, for the strengthening of the body, for the mission of the body. As you begin to see, and it it further unpacks in Romans chapter 12 more and more, which you and I are supposed to do as Christians among each other and in the world so that people may see and know that, that God sent Christ. He said that, remember? We read his prayer last week from John 17. He was praying for you and for me. He says, may they be united, may they be one as we are one, Father and Son, He says, Why? So that they may know that you sent me. So that they may know that I love them. So we are united because we are so diverse. We we need to be united because we're so diverse. I need you and you need me. The person next to you needs you. So this passage tells us if you have the gift of God, that is, you do. If God has so saved you in Christ, He's given you the Holy Spirit, He's given you a gift. Use it. All these things are to build up the church. Because the church, the body of Christ, is the vehicle in which the good news of salvation goes to the, to the world. This, this body is the way that we go out and we tell people the good news of the gospel. And they see, as we talked about last week, even though we're different, we are one. We are members of one another. They see and we declare to them the goodness of Jesus. That if they would repent of their sin, they would come and be saved. How will they believe unless they've heard? Thanks be to God that He works among us, the body of Christ, the sophisticated and the simple, the old and the young, the rich and the poor. We each, if we are in Christ, have a part to play. This passage then encourages us to use that gift. Let's pray. Oh God, you are so deserving of our worship, you're so deserving of our whole selves. God, we want to give ourselves as a living sacrifice to you daily. but We recognize we need help and so we're thankful that you've put us in this place. That We are not on our own, but we are with the body of Christ. And God, we thank you that we're together and we need one another. And you have given us each gifts to serve each other, to build up each other so that we may be strengthened and we may better represent Jesus in this world. God, we want to do that well. We don't want to just be people who exist, who get to the end and show that our talent has been unused. God, would you please show us the ways in which we can serve? Have others even affirm us now so we may pursue that even harder, that we might use the gift that you have given us for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.